Hello and welcome to a special Demystifying Media podcast. In this episode, you'll hear from Hamad Aliaziz, an immigration policy reporter at the Los Angeles Times and a graduate of the SOJC and the University of Oregon. In this podcast, Hamad will be taking questions from students at the end of a lecture that he gave, also available as a podcast in this series, in fall 2022. Because this was in a large lecture hall and we had more than 400 people in the room, it was kind of hard to hear the original questions. So we revoiced them but kept Hamid's answers as honest and candid and real as they were if you were in the room that day. When doing investigative work, have you ever had a situation where your opinion has changed on something as you've gotten deeper into it? I think any time... Um like I said, like actually experiencing these changes through people and understanding the depth of the impact that policy changes can make on real families like, like Maria's, that was something I never expected. I mean, you just you see numbers, you see changes, and you kind of move on to the next thing. And to, to witness that was um, profound for me. I would say also sometimes when you meet certain, you know, senior officials or, you know, politicians that are painted a certain way in the media and you've read a lot about and then you meet them in person is really somewhat disorienting and, um, you know, it kind of gives you a sense of like, oh, they're like actually a human being and yeah, I think it helps with your coverage, but that's, that's what I would say, yeah. yeah. How do you think the landscape of journalism will change by the time we're out of school? So the question was about the how the landscape of journalism could, uh, could change by the time you're graduating. You know, this industry is like very volatile and you see that with constant layoffs and reorganizations and newsrooms shrinking, especially you know, in local news and you see that in Oregon with Oregonian and, and other outlets. But ultimately, you know, I always think there would be a place for reporters to do reporting. And I think that if you want to be a journalist, if you want to report on, you know, uh, the news and on important issues and policies, you can totally do that. There will always be a place for that. It's unclear where that is, what that will look like, but I think we've seen, I mean, we especially saw that during the Trump administration, the hunger for news is still at an all-time high. You seem to cover some pretty heavy topics. Does any of this ever weigh on you? Yeah, I would say, like, you know, the, the instance with Maria and her family at the airport, um, I drove home that night after spending time with the family, and, you know, you, you, you feel that. You know, you, in the moment, I was just so focused on capturing the scenes, and then afterward reflecting that in the story and getting the story out there and when you're done with that and you're driving home you're kind of you're, you're left with like what you just witnessed and um, it's it's sometimes hard to process um, like with that warehouse fire where 36 people died um, that really affected me you know just seeing a lot of the people who died were young they were like your guys's age and to see these parents um, coming and coming to the scene of where their kids died was like harrowing and I, I it, it took a little while for me to process I actually took a little time 
um, for myself. So that's, it's really important. And sometimes you're not really able to do that just because of the pressures of the job and how competitive the industry is. Do you prefer short stories or longer stories? Yeah, um, I like having a mix. I like doing the daily story where, you know, something will happen and you know, you're on deadline at 2 p.m. And there's a real uh, thrill in uh, knowing that no matter how you feel, no matter how tired you are, no matter whatever, you have to get that story in by 2 p.m. Uh, that's fun, and it forces you actually to, uh, to think quickly and to, to, to write on deadline. But I also like doing features and getting to know people in depth and getting to know families and, and uh, understanding what they're going through and then trying to reflect some sort of narrative, uh, trying to keep readers engaged in the story that's longer. Um, so the, the mix is what makes this job really fun. How would you recommend aspiring journalists find their beat and what to write about? And do you think that news companies are okay with journalists changing their beat throughout their career? Yeah, I think definitely. I think that the way you learn that is by doing, by experiencing it. For me, you know, starting out as breaking news and general assignment of the Chronicle, I got to cover a lot of different topics. And it was during that time I started to cover immigration. I really enjoyed it, and I felt like there were so many uh, different types of stories to tell, you know, government accountability, economy stories, political stories, and I pursued that. And I've had other colleagues who've also started on um, general assignment beats or uh, separate beats move around. And I don't think that uh, editors or, or newsrooms look down on that. I think that ultimately what matters is like showing uh, that you've done well, showing that you've delivered either you know scoops or features or some sort of accountability or investigative reporting. It's all about having the, the right clips and whatever subject that is, it doesn't matter. And I would say, you know, a lot of editors appreciate that diversity of experience because it shows that no matter the topic that you cover, you can get in and do great work. BuzzFeed News is a pretty left-leaning publication. Was it ever difficult trying to keep things neutral with people asking you to write specific stories to fit an agenda? No, I don't think there was ever an agenda. And I think that, um, I think that that was kind of the perception of BuzzFeed at the time because of the decision to publish that dossier. But uh, the editor-in-chief at the time, Ben Smith, was actually really focused on just trying to tell good stories um, and really allowing reporters to be independent and have the resources to do that. And for me, I like it was incredible because I could go anywhere I wanted to go, report on any story, and there was never any type of directive on the direction of my story beyond just like, is this a good story or not, regardless of however the left or the right may feel about it. How did the financial structure affect what you and other journalists wrote? And how did it affect the culture of journalism? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a reality in journalism that you need money to survive. You need newsrooms to bring in uh, at least a certain amount of money uh, to be able to continue going on. We've seen a lot of these hedge funds buy up local newsrooms, gut them, and make money off of them because they were struggling before. So it's really important uh, at, at publications for publications to be focused on 
how readers are consuming their news and getting more readers to read their work. I don't personally, you know, think about like how many people have clicked on my story or, um, you know, trying to get clicks, whatever. But I, I actually think it's like great because I think reporters are forced on, forced to think about what are the stories you can tell that will have the, the, the most amount of readers. Not clickbait, but real great journalism that'll draw in a lot of people and that'll not only benefit you because you'll have a lot of readers, but also the newsroom because more people are clicking through and watching videos and subscribing. Um, so ultimately, I think it's beneficial for both the newsroom and for the journalist, but never to be guided by, I just want the number of clicks to go all, you know, all the way to whatever number that, that satisfies uh, certain people. We have a question back here. A lot of the stuff you cover can be pretty jarring. So how do you find that balance of not being overly emotional and just writing the story in a professional way? Yeah, totally. I, um, I think that when I'm on a scene or I'm writing on deadline or writing these stories, I'm so focused on just trying to tell the best story possible that I try to just remove myself from those uh, really pairing situations, like try not to think about them emotionally. And I think I'm really good at compartmentalizing in my head. I've just kind of learned that skill. Like I need to get this, I need to do this story as well as possible because you know, people like Maria and others have really been so vulnerable with me and given me so much time and put themselves out on the line for me. So, you know, I would not be doing anything uh, for the, the readers or whoever if I'm, you know, uh, overcome with my emotions and not able to, to tell the story. I think the issue is like afterward, after you send that story and after you're left with that, like I mentioned with the airport, um, I, I just try to have separation with with work, try to process it through, try to talk to colleagues about what we've seen, um, because it really helps. Because that could take a, a long-term toll. And we've, I've seen that with a lot of people, a lot of reporters who've really uh, experienced uh, like the secondhand trauma. How do you get your resources when you're not doing on-site reporting? For example, would they give you a list of contacts? Yeah, when I first started out as a breaking news reporter at the Chronicle, it was definitely uh, like that. It was like, you know, something happened, you know, like a car, big car crash or like a, a murder scene, and I would get, you know, information. Okay, this is who to talk to at the police department. This is um, like uh, this is the history of the region. This is somebody else who could be really helpful for you in the story, and then you know I would go there and then write the story. But as you advance through your career, that's, it becomes more of a reporter-driven situation. Um, I'm not waiting for my editors to tell me about stories or what to do for stories or like how to direct myself. A lot of those conversations come after I've already written the story and maybe uh, my editor feels like there's more reporting that needs to be done um, and has some ideas about how to do that. Um, and I think through that experience of working as a breaking news reporter, as a crime reporter, uh, it taught me skills on how to find uh, the right people to talk to, uh, how to develop sourcing, and uh, how to write stories well. 
What's your perspective on the ability for people to retell stories in their own words, such as when someone with influence paraphrases a story on Twitter? Yeah, I mean, I think we're living in an age where social media is driving so much of uh, of the news, and, and people get their news. Some people get their news just exclusively on Instagram and, and TikTok and Twitter, and Sometimes that can be quite disturbing when you see things that are inaccurate, uh, you know, things that, that didn't happen. You know, there's so many times you see uh, false information out there. And I think it's incumbent on mainstream organizations and other news organizations to try to, you know, meet readers where they are and re meet, you know, uh, potential readers on Instagram. You know, the LA Times, the New York Times, the Washington Post, they're all on Instagram. They're all trying to, you know, figure out different ways to get young readers uh, engaged, so that maybe they come across the the, the LA Times or New York Times uh, Instagram story when they're going through and scrolling past the other stories that are inaccurate. So I think the more we can do to meet readers where they are, the the better uh, for the uh, the news ecosystem. You talked about the importance of having emotion in your work. How do you balance doing that while also not leaning into sensationalism? Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you, you have to be mindful of not going too far, of not straying from what you saw. I think for me, like when it comes to these situations, like scenes that I witness and experiences like, like Maria at the airport, I'm literally just drawing from what I'm witnessing. I'm taking as many notes as possible. I'm recording it on my phone. I'm really trying to build out what I witnessed for the reader who's going to see it in written word. Um, so I just focus on sticking to the facts and not veering uh, far from that. What do you think are some of the most important mindsets to have as a journalist? I mean, I think you have to be completely dedicated. You have to be uh, willing to treat it like it's not a day job. It's not a, because it, it isn't. It isn't a job that 8 a.m., 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. It's literally all the time, all the time, you know, on call for potential big stories, all the time thinking about um, how you can make your stories better, how you can develop more sources, should you be talking to sources, because uh, oftentimes sources aren't free during the day, right? They have their own job. You talk to them at night. So that dedication that um, is so important to be able to, to, to succeed in this industry. Um, and also persistence. You'll often be told no by sources, by uh, government agencies, by spokespeople, by whoever, and continuing to come back and not be discouraged um, is essential as well. You mentioned that without accuracy, journalism becomes meaningless. How can we maintain accurate journalism while also maintaining freedom of the press? Yeah, I mean, it's a reality that the news ecosystem that we're in right now is much different than the one that even I experienced as a kid in the 90s, uh, and especially in the past, where everybody read certain newspapers, watched certain news channels, um, and we all agreed upon a certain set of facts. It's clearly not the case anymore. Um, and I think the best way to, to continue that 
fair, objective uh, news is to get more readers, you know what I mean? Like I said, meeting readers where they are, getting more readers engaged, and really impressing upon people the importance of an objective and fair press. I think sometimes people are worried about the criticism we get from, from readers about the work that we do, and for me personally, I think we should just listen more and try to, like I said, meet, meet readers where they are. How does a journalist maintain a balance between a personal and a work life? And how does one remain optimistic with all the negative news that they receive? Yeah, I, um, I try to keep separation in my own life. Um, there are certain moments where I don't check my phone, I don't check Twitter, I don't check uh, Slack or email. I'm just focused on my family, I'm focused on if I'm watching a game or if I'm going for a run. And I do that on the weekends sometimes. I try to build out that time where I'm just focusing on myself and those who are close to me. And that's really helped me a lot because I think you, you really can get swallowed by it, especially because we have our phones, you know, you're on Twitter and there's stuff happening all the time. You can always be reading or doing something or being stressed out, so it's really important to have that, that separation. What did you do in college to prepare yourself for the job market? Yeah, I certainly think I could have been more involved on campus uh, in journalism, like actual the experiences like, like I was talking about, you know, working in the student paper or the magazine at the journalism school and other opportunities, internships. Those were things that I didn't really pursue. Um, and I think that really could have served me well and I think would serve everybody who wants to go into journalism well. I think that's incredibly, incredibly important. And what was the first part of your question? Yeah, I went to, uh, I think one of the best moments for me was I studied abroad in the Middle East and Jordan. And when I was there, I was able to intern for an English language magazine. That was like my only internship during college. And I learned how it worked to like, you know, write a story, have a story be edited and report in this really difficult place and I was just by myself. It really wasn't the type of study abroad program where you know, it was comfortable. And that was really important for me, just not only as like from a maturity level, uh, but the work experience as well. Do you have a template that you use when you're writing or is each story different? Um, you know, when it comes to like a, a daily story, something happening with the news, there is, a t there is pretty much a template, like a lead, you know, what's happened, nut graph, you know, why what's happened is important, and a, a guide for the reader on what they're going to read in the story, what they can expect, a little bit of analysis, and then reactions, background, etc. When it comes to different types of reporting, like investigative or uh, feature writing, there's all types of forms and shapes that could take. So it's really fun to be able to think outside the box and try to, to write stories in different ways. So when it comes to those types of stories, it's definitely not, you know, I guess, uh, there's not like a specific form. We're seeing a bigger wave of misinformation with the rise of people like Alex Jones and Joe Rogan. How do you think we can reach their audiences to help them understand how harmful this type of rhetoric is? 
Yeah, I, I'm honestly not sure. I'm not sure how you are able to get an audience like that. Uh, and I think that's something that newsroom leaders are considering and thinking about. And I think we've struggled with as an industry. It's really hard because this is like a new concept. This is a new thing where, you know, people put out uh, fake information and it's consumed at such a high level to the point where people believe it. They feel so passionate about it. It's uh, a new phenomenon that, you know, I think of the leaders of uh, the industry are still trying to process and you know, I'm not sure the best way. I mean, there's a lot of reporting right now. It's really interesting reporting at some mainstream outlets like NBC and uh, the New York Times and elsewhere that actually they're like misinformation beats where they're fact-checking uh, what's being said in these programs. The people appearing on them sometimes can be high-level politicians. And those stories you're seeing get a lot of traction. Um, so I think that work is, is always very valuable as well. Do you think it would be a good idea for media outlets such as the New York Times or the Los Angeles Times to add a fact-checking section on their website? There, the, yeah, and I like the Washington Post has that. Um, there's like PolitiFact that does that. I think that stuff is really valuable and, and important, and it's oftentimes really great work. The worry that I have, and these aren't my decisions to make, these are my bosses, is that with the you know, shrinking resources. Um, I think ultimately having reporters report on news, the more reporters that do that as opposed to other things, um, like fact-checking, um, is important. Just because of the reality of our industry, the more reporters we can have to throw at big news events and uh, scenes and uh, important policy issues, the better. What was the best and worst thing about working at BuzzFeed, and how does it compare to some of the other places you've worked at? The best thing was working at a place that allowed reporters to drive what they were doing, to have the resources uh, that I needed to, you know, an incredibly ambitious and collaborative uh, newsroom. You know, reporters were always working together, amplifying each other's work, it felt like a real team atmosphere. The, the worst thing, I mean, I think, like those experiences I was talking about, like calling people, calling agencies or whoever, and like constantly having to explain I wasn't, you know, part of the cat website or the listicle website. You know, after a while that was like somewhat annoying. And I think there was a lack of uh, institutional trust maybe for certain sources at the beginning uh, when I would approach them. It, it really took me showing through work that I was serious, that we were serious, uh, to get them to, to talk to me. Have you or the news organizations you work with changed anything that you do now that print readership is down at newspapers? Yeah, I think there's more of a focus on the website, on online, on social media, and trying to get stories up as fast as possible. Now, even after it goes through the process of editing and copy editing, that's been a real push by you know, traditional newsrooms like the LA Times. Because at BuzzFeed, it was, there was no print product. It was like very quick. 
And at the LA Times, there's more of a process, there's more of a bureaucracy. So in the past, your story wouldn't go up until late in the day, even if it was ready early uh, in the day, um, or would hold, be held for multiple days. And I think there's a more, a more of a sense of urgency uh, around the stories uh, than, than before. What do you hope readers take away from the content that you create? Well, I hope everybody who reads the stories that I write learns something, um, cares about what's going on, continues to be interested in it, comes back to the same uh, topic, the same issue, and feels like they've gained something from reading my work. Uh, the, the last thing that I want is for a reader to just glaze over uh, the, 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 the story. And that's something we constantly are thinking about, how we're writing our headlines to draw people in, how we're writing the top of the story uh, to have readers continue, uh, continue reading. Thank <laughs> you.